Good afternoon, everybody. The energy is really good right now. I, just, I appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. Um, I, I just want to echo what Pastor Christian. Just you guys are amazing. Um, that's that, you know. I was here first service, and he said ten thousand, and then he said, and then I saw the screen. I was like, wow, my eyes popped open, right? But I'm 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 grateful because you know I'm one of the people that's on the front lines um, that facilitate you know your generous offerings to our community, and so I've been blessed as some members on the justice team to see the faces, um, the families, the, 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 the look of gratitude for the gifts that you guys have given when we drop off a stroller or you know a cabinet or clothes or food. Um, um, and, and so it is an amazing thing and you guys drive that by the grace of God. And so thank you again so much. Can you give yourselves one more round of applause? All right, so. As Pastor Chris said, we are in the midst of Advent season. And if you like me growing up, we really didn't use that word too much. We just kind of celebrated the birth of Jesus. So for those it's that if you were like me and it's kind of new to you, you know, the word Advent, the, the Latin, Latin word for it is Adventus, and it simply means coming or arrival, right? And it is the, the kind of pinnacle of our redemptive history, uh, Jesus, our hero, coming to save mankind. And so that's what this series is about. It's, it's a beautiful interruption into history from God. And it's been designed well by uh, Andrew Oliver, this theme that we're doing, and it's called Audacity to Believe. And uh, we're reflecting on God's interruption in our chaos and in the lives of everyday common people striving to live for him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you so very much for your love and your grace. I thank you that you brought us here today. So thankful for the energy and the excitement. Um, I felt like I definitely sensed people's burdens falling through worship. And I sensed a, a liveliness, a spark, a fire. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do that for us in your word. And speak, Lord God, to us and our perspective places where we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let's dive right into the scripture. Um, and it is Luke 1, 5 through 19. Now, if you know my preaching, I like to jump around a little bit. I'm going to go all the way 5 through 19. That is the text, the assignment that Andrew gave me. So I'm going to do that, but just leave your Bible open, you know, and uh, we're going to have fun. All right. So in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty 
and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and he gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. All right. So I just love this story. Um, my plan today is to kind of go through a background of the story, um, flesh out some of the context, and then my three points are, one, believing in transition, believing in doubt, and believing for more than yours. Now, I'm excited that of this task because Luke is one of my favorite books. Um, Luke is the author. Do you guys, he also wrote another book. You guys know what that book is? Acts, there you go. I heard it over here, left and right. There we go. So Luke and Acts are actually kind of like a series. So Luke is the first part of a two-part series. And if you actually read them, like the ending of Luke goes seamlessly into Acts, if you read it. And so like in school, we would say Luke acts a lot. And so um, this author wasn't just any man, all right? His occupation, he was a physician. And so this is what I love about him because this is a man that was accustomed to the body, accustomed to, you know, aches and pains of people, and they would bring, you know, their, their, their complaints about what's going on with their body. Uh, so it's interesting how he writes on the healing of Jesus. He has, his perspective has a deeper meaning, when he's talking about Jesus. And so you can see that priority in the book. You can see a love, a focus on humanity, on compassion, on this kind of global focus um, of Jesus. And, and he's writing largely to the Gentile Christians of his time. And so it's, you know, I talked about in a sermon that I last preached about Peter, about God, uh, Jesus meeting Peter in his trade. And here we kind of see a man in, you know, observing uh, Jesus doing things better than he could ever imagine, right? Like 
he's the healer and he's watching the doctors watching the healer, right? It's a beautiful thing. But Luke wasn't also just any other author. He was kind of like more of a journalist. If you look in Luke 1, a little bit before we started reading, um, you see he takes up the task. He says, with this, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And so Luke didn't just write this haphazardly. He is writing, he is investigated, he has talked to people, he's talked to Paul, he's talked to the disciples. He, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's, he might be investigating their bodies, what they said were ill, right? He, he has this eye and he has now done his work and he's created this apologetic truth. For Theophilus is a person of prestige during, during this time. And so it's just amazing how he is investigating this truth to the world, right? And so here we start where we start in verse 5 where it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea. What I love about that is this gospel begins in a real historical setting. It's not just ambiguous. It's not just somewhere. You know, as Andrew said last week, you know, a miraculous conception an older uh, couple bearing a child, like these things are hard to believe. And, and what Luke is giving you is markers and facts and evidence where there's a trail to this. We're not just making this up out the blue. He's showing you kind of what's, who the ruler is. And Herod the Great, that's what they call him, <laughs> or what he called himself, um, <laughs> Right, he was uh, what you call a client king, and a client king is basically the taskmaster of the Roman Empire. All right, and so here we see these people, the Roman Empire, they were the rulers at the time, and so Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were under oppression of the Roman rule. And this is what I also love about the Bible and the text, because you know, stories are not written about these types of people, about your ordinary common folk, people just living everyday life. You know, stories and big budget movies, they're made about, you know, people like Napoleon, <laughs> you know, conquerors, people that just go and take stuff, right? But, but your, your, your poor ordinary person, and there was no middle class, so they were in poverty, um, the stories are not written about these kinds of people, but God sees these kind of people. And so giving you facts of this is the place. And my task today is to zoom in on the interaction of Zechariah and the angel. And who was Zechariah? Well, he was married to a woman named Elizabeth. Zacharias was a priest. Um, and he was in the latter stages of his life. They say he was very old. So, you know, his waking up in the morning, his back, you know, may have been hurting. His knees ain't the same as they used to be. Probably needs help reading some things, right? Probably calls, you know, people to come help him with stuff, right? This, this is an older man here. And he was a priest. 
the priests, what did they do at that time? They were descendants of Aaron. So Aaron was like their great, great granddaddy. And he served in the temple and offered sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the people. And so uh, they had some important space in their community, whether political or, or judicial, they had some authority. And so that was kind of his role, and he was a devoted, he was devoted to that. And uh, the Bible says he was righteous. And so just a little bit more, um, as a priest, he served at the temple uh, for two one-week periods a year. And so he was a member, check this, of, he was one of 24 divisions, which basically totaled to 18,000 priests. So he was one of total of 18,000 priests around that time. And so they basically, as you can see in the scripture, it says he drew by lot, meaning basically chance to enter into this space to offer the sacrifice. And so what this in essence was, this was like the Super Bowl for priests. All right, this is like their one time. And they don't know, and it's so many people, they gotta draw the lot to see who goes in. And he finally, they drew the lot on him. Little did he know this is not, you know, uh, circumstance or coincidence. God is doing a work. And so... God picked like this important, unique time in his priestly career to meet him. And the angel showed up. And it's, it's just interesting how, you know, the angel showed up at this time and we see this majestic power of God, right? Nobody else is in the temple. It's the angel of the Lord. And we see Zechariah, and he's, used to, he's supposed to burn the incense, and the angel is meeting him right there. He pulls up right on him, right, in his space. And what does he do? He's shocked. It's fear, gripped with fear, right? He, this, this is, and this is, like, like it's just crazy. I, I, I don't even know what it's like to have an angel of the Lord pull up on you and, you know, we was talking with Ferris. She asked me when he was talking about this. She was like, what would you do if an angel just came in the living room? I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably bow and be scared to look up. You know, like, you don't know what it's like to, in the presence of God. You know, it's so, I think about, like, how bright the sun is, how powerful you can't even look at the sun. I just, and then it's like the sun is in your living room, sort of like. And so, but that's what's happening, right? So we see... The story of salvation, we see the humanity and we see God's power, grand display. And so they showed um, great fortitude. It says they were righteous before the sight of God. Before the sight of God. So basically, you know, these were people with integrity. It wasn't just putting on for people and appearances of people. You know, we all go to work. You know, so we know what it means to put on even when we don't feel like it. Uh, we know what it means to make an appearance. Uh, but these people, they were seasoned veterans, and they were righteous before God when nobody else could see. They had that much integrity. And so, which is amazing, because Zachariah and Elizabeth, that means that they didn't let their disappointment of being childless steer their lives. It didn't allow them 
they didn't let it let them it the, those that that how it didn't let them sink into despair. They showed fortitude and tenacity by continuing to do what God called them to do. Right? I, I, I think it's very noble what they did. And I think the Bible makes a clear point that they were righteous for God for a reason. Because people in their situation, there's speculation about sin, right? Them being cursed, them being disgraced. When you look at Elizabeth's prayer in uh, verse 25, she talks about, God, you've, took an, you've taken away my disgrace. And so at that time, people associated something like being childless and not being able to bear a child with maybe a curse or somebody's sin. It's like we see with the blind child that Jesus healed. They asked the question, well, whose parents sinned? They weren't able to understand exactly what it was. And so we see here that they were righteous before God, but they still had struggle. They still suffered. Their righteousness and their devotion to God didn't exclude them from unfair situations from long-suffering, from struggle. This is key because sometimes on the flip end, a lot of us who might be extremely critical of ourselves or we see God as a father in a certain way, we know we've sinned in our life. And we may associate every wrong thing with, this is God giving me my consequences. And so, and, and, and so if you do that, on the flip end, when you have your righteous moment or your righteous season where, you're, where you feel like you're pleasing God and then something unfair happens, you, you're sort of devastated because you, you've associated your righteousness with, you know, life should go a certain way. Or if you're sinning, life should go a certain way. And in this case, we see these were righteous people dealing with an unfair situation. And it wasn't because of sin, and it wasn't because God was displeased with them. Little did they know God had a plan. And so we see, as the Bible says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so it's, it's important that we understand that. And, and I think Elizabeth's concern would be probably different. We have to be careful if we just kind of like place them in our shoes. We have to think about their shoes and where they are at. And so her concern is probably different from today. Her dilemma is different from our modern expectations. In one important way, she would not have had the type of concerns that modern people do about self-fulfillment through her bearing a child, right? It's, it's, it's not just about her. It's in the ancient world, particularly given the hazards of having children, the issue is more related to the expectation of having heirs and building a family that can help share in its responsibilities, right? Again, we're talking about a, a, a poorer people, right? And so there was a different expectation here about what it was and what they were going through. And so let's talk about belief and transition. 
I think the setup is very interesting because when we look at verse 13, when the angel approaches Zechariah, what does he say? He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. But hold up, wait a minute. We go to 18. We contrast what it says. Zechariah asked the angel, here's Zechariah. He said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So, so the angel is saying, I have heard your prayers. And Zechariah is like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm confused. <laughs> what are you, I'm, I'm old. My baby making years are gone. But what we see here is that Zechariah had a prayer when he was younger. And him and Elizabeth, and when they were making their lives together and living in the community, they had this expectation and this prayer to have this family, and that didn't happen. And what did he do? He didn't sink into despair. He didn't sink into his vices or, or whatever and become a bad priest because God forgot me. No, he nobly continued to plow and be righteous before God, humbly, but he also forgot his prayer. <laughs> and he moved on from it. Life happens, right? And he got older, he's like, God said no, I'm going to move forward. <laughs> And, and so he nobly just kept doing the work of God. And what was a no to him was really just a delay for God's greater plan. God knew what he was doing. Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't know what they were doing. They were just living their life. And, and what I love about this is that they weren't given a promise per se that Zachariah and Elizabeth shall bear a son. They were just living their lives. And then the angel comes down and says, hey, bro, I got news for you. Things are going to change. Transition. You know, what I, when, I, um, when I talk career development, we have this stage when we're dealing with crisis and trauma for people in careers, and it applies to life. And there was this uh, theorist called Schlossberg is his last name. And he talked about four types of transitions, really. One is anticipated transition. It's like a graduation or your first job or marriage. Two is un unanticipated transition. That's like you get fired or a transfer or a breakup. Three is chronic hassles. That's like things that continually, that continually bother you, like a hostile boss or poor working conditions or New York traffic, <laughs> you know, every day is, is chronically hassling you, beating you down. Keep your head up, right? Um, and then the fourth one I thought was very interesting. It was the events that don't happen, the non-events. Um, and I'm like, wow, trauma can happen from non-events. And, you know, the things that you were expecting kind of to happen, but they didn't happen. Maybe that raise, maybe that relationship. 
uh, maybe a child. And so those, the two hardest of the transitions are one, the unanticipated, the ones that hit you left side, you didn't see where it was coming. And I also think the non-events that never happened that you were kind of expecting to happen at a certain time. And, and, and those non-events, they're kind of like, kind of like subtle lingering heaviness on you, a burden on you. And so here is Zechariah dealing with the transition. He already transitioned from this trauma that he could not have a child. Him and his wife could not have a child. And they probably dealt with slander and sideway looks and all these other things. But they fought through it. And they loved God. And now here is the angel saying, wait a minute, I, I wasn't... I wasn't done with that. I actually heard your prayer and I was still cooking. My plan was still cooking and working for you. And so the question is, can our hearts be tender to that transition? How do we respond in our transitions, the anticipated, the unanticipated, the non-events, the chronicle hassles? Do, do we get more agitated? Do we blame other people? Do we blame ourselves? Do we binge on Netflix? Like, how do you do, deal with your transitions? Do we trust God? Can we learn from Zechariah to trust God, but we're also learning, not from Zechariah, but from God, that he has a bigger plan and he's not finished? Let our hearts be tender. Secondly, can we believe in doubt? The question struck me, and I thought this was huge, a huge question. Does doubt cancel the miracles and promises of God? See, if you, like me, grew up, kind of operated in a very binary framework that doesn't necessarily reflect the move of God. But it goes something like this. If I have enough faith, God is going to do it. If I have a lot of doubt, God is not going to do it. And so basically I live based on, do I have the faith do I have, or do I have doubt? And if God didn't do something then, then I guess I didn't have enough faith. Or I guess I had too much doubt. And it's understandable why we would think that way, right? Because we see passages where Jesus is praising somebody for their great faith. He said, go, and, and, and he marveled at the centurion's faith, right? He did not doubt. Um, the, the lady with the, the issue of blood who fought through the crowd to get to him, that, that was great faith, right? So we see passages like that. But there's also passages like the man whose son couldn't be healed, and he was crying to Jesus like, Lord, would you help my unbelief? We also see doubt. Uh, well, some, we see doubt in people like Gideon, who was like, God, can you show it to me three times? And God gracefully showed it to him. We see Abraham and Sarah. Sarah's laughing at the promise. She's laughing at the promise. We see Moses saying, God... Now, mind you, there's a burning fire 
God's work and display. And he's like, God, you sure about me? Me? God is showing his power and he still has this doubt. We see Manoah, that's Samson's father. And his mother, Samson's mother, was barren as well. And check this. The angel appeared to Samson's mother. This is before Samson was born, of course. And then she goes and tells her husband. And the husband's like, are you sure? If it's really real, God have it. Bring another angel. Now, I mean, you're talking about audacity, right? Audacity to ask for another angel visit. I mean, you want lightning to strike twice, three times in a row. That's what he asked. But God graciously did it. Now, don't throw stones at me about this next one. But I would say, I would wonder, I'm not saying I would wonder, did Mary have any doubt? Because she had a question about how will this be, just like Zachariah had a question. Now I know if I, I've been told, well, Mary's question was holy because she wasn't married. So how can this be? Valid, right? But Zachariah was old and his baby making years was gone. <laughs> He's like, how can this be? Now, I don't mean to inflect, you know, their tones. I do not know. We, we see Mary had more faith than Zachariah. I'm not saying, but... I'm saying also that she's human, and it's possible that there was some doubt there. Because, see, what, what I'm getting at is life is more complex than just do I have faith and do I have doubt. The truth is we have percentages of faith and doubt at the same time. And it is up to God how he sees and how he answers. We do not control that. But the beautiful thing about God is that he does not allow our doubt to be the gatekeeper of his promises. God works through the doubt. Zechariah had questions right in front of the angel that he's afraid of. And the angel could have been like, oh, you don't believe? Okay, I'm going to go to the next one. But God did not decide that. He stayed on task. He said... You might have to be quiet for a little bit. Might have to silence you. You won't be able to have a conversation for nine months. But you'll know. And so the big thing is, is there any faith there? That's because the Bible didn't say the faith of a mountain will move a mountain. The Bible said the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. This is how pure and powerful faith and trust in God is. That even when there's fertile of doubt, a grain of seed of faith will get through and change and shift so much. Doubt doesn't determine God's sovereignty and power in our lives. He is asking us to believe and trust in him. And so, yes, doubt can be present but God is greater than our doubt. And he's, it's not stopping him from doing the things in your life and accepting the greatness that God is giving you. So the devil wants you to believe the lies. 
And so, thirdly, can we believe for more than yours? You see, we're talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and, and how God interrupted their space. And it's just amazing how, one, they weren't waiting on a promise. God just interrupted and said, this is, this is what I'm doing. But the, the, the story is, look at, we got to look at the story within the context of what's going on. God is bringing a man named John to be a forerunner of the savior of the world. They are caught in the wind of redemptive history. God is moving through them. They just wanted a child, but God had a bigger, they, they couldn't even ask for such a thing. They couldn't even ask for a son like John that would be a forerunner to Jesus to be in the book and to have a black man talking about it 2,000 years later. <laughs> they probably just wanted a child, you know, help with, the cho- <laughs> help with the chores, life, you know, tell you the legacy. But God had something bigger and greater. So I know your desires are big, but God is doing something beyond which you even think. But the question is, is it channeled within the good news? Is it channeled within the greater story? Not just your story, not just why you want that relationship, not just why you want that child, not just why you want that job or that situation, but is it channeled towards his good news? What is God's glory out of that thing? Are you thinking about that? Because it's when our eyes are on the gospel that our desires are channeled properly. God loves us the most. And God is the most most just. And so God is not intentionally trying to punish us or make us suffer. God wants the best. And that's what this story comes down to is can we trust that? What is underneath how you transition, how you deal with transition? What is underneath how you doubt and why you doubt? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel betrayed? I want us to examine why we do what we do. And then take that to God. See, the beautiful thing about, there's a lot of beautiful things, but you know what Zachariah's name means? It means Yahweh remembers. The irony. God remembered his prayer when he forgot. What is that prayer that you may have forgotten? What is that thing that you may have given up on and you said, eh, this relationship, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm not here to say what God will and won't do, but I know that God loves you. And I know that God is going to do more than you can imagine and ever want, just like he did for Zachariah. And Elizabeth. The worship team can come forward. But can we trust and can we hold on to him 
when it's dark and we don't understand. And when our desires are channeled right, it helps us go through right. When we see the greater good of what the desire is, and if it's a godly desire, we can see it. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is what all parts of our lives are about. The ministry of reconciliation. Our relationships, our marriages, our children. You know, I, I thought it was kind of, I don't know, ironic or funny that I was asked to preach this because I could relate. I'm not as old as Zachariah, but I can relate. You know, I'm in this place where, you know, we're waiting. Me and my wife are waiting for a child. You know, I expected, I mean, a lot of things, like I expected to be married earlier. I expected to have a child by this such, such a time. I'm in this test with you. And I have lots of questions, but one thing we can't question is God's love. Can our hearts be tender enough? Even if we moved on in a good way, that God can still do a miracle. And can we repent if we didn't handle how we're waiting well? I can trust a God who gave his only son for me. A God who has showed his justice throughout the Bible I can trust that. And so it is for us to walk with God, even though it's dark sometimes, and we may not know the next step, but we hold his hand. We cry, we cry. If we need to hold on to somebody, we hold on to somebody, but we do not give up hope in our God. We do not give up faith in our God. And even if we doubt, that doubt is not stronger and greater than our God. And it does not control. Can we stand? I want you to lift up that transition. How you transition that, that unanticipated, those non-events. I want us to lift up those prayers that we have forgotten. I want us to lift up our doubts. I want to lift up those things that we feel are just for ourselves and we're going to transition it to the glory of God. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this example that you have given us of Zechariah, one who was forgotten. <laughs> a prayer that he said as a young man, but you heard it in a season unexpected. I thank you, God, that you have not forgotten us, your people. 
and you have not forgotten the things that are in the hearts right now. I thank you for the hope, God. Stir up the hope, God. Let us not sink in despair, Lord God. Let us hold to you, Lord Jesus, and trust in your love in our season of waiting. And give us the discernment to see you. To see you, oh God. You come in the unexpected. You, you brought the king of kings through a manger, through the poor, through an oppressed people. You do the unthinkable, God. You do the impossible, oh God. Let us be a people that are tender to the impossible, that accept the impossible. We are not a judge. We cannot put a period on anything, Lord God. Let us trust you, Lord God, to the end. I pray for healing right now in the name of Jesus. Healing right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for hope right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for those prayers that, that, are, that are resurrecting from the grave. I thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this space. God, help us to be. Help us to have more of you. In Jesus' name.